Today's Coffee Shop Conversation is presented by Papa Murphy's Take and Bake Pizza. Love at 425. If you've been going out to hear music in Portland for a long time, you've probably seen Norman Sylvester. And if you've seen Norman Sylvester, you've seen his bass player of 30 years or so, Rob Shoemaker. Rob is in Cafe Artichoke with me right now at Artichoke Music, 2007 Southeast Powell Boulevard in Portland. Veteran musicians are vintage treasures. They've made their homes here and are important parts of our community. Norman and Rob are going strong, and I hear they're actually expanding their sights in the new year. It's safe to say that perhaps Norman might not be the complete boogie cat without Rob Shoemaker. Let's meet the bass player. Welcome to Cafe Artichoke. Thank you very much. Glad Good to, to be see here. You. Glad to see you. I don't know that we've actually ever talked to each other. Uh, we've met. We've we've uh, exchanged pleasantries. Us? Us? Really? And I've I've requested songs on your show. Oh, cool! Did I play it? Yes. Oh, that was nice of me. <laughs> you remember Oliver what? Sane. Oliver Sane, I got those. T- I got those two LPs of Oliver Sane's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the hell was the name of that label? Oh, jeez, um, they're yellow. Yes, they are yellow. <laughs> and that introduced me to uh, uh, the gal who sang "Rescue Me." Was Fontella Bass. Fontella Bass yeah. was Little Milton's yeah. piano player, yeah. which I learned on your show. How about that? And I've and I've forgotten it <laughs> until this minute because because I can't remember anything. I used to, but you know that those, those days are gone. Oliver Sane had introduced uh-huh. Fontella and Little yeah. Milton in the first place because wow. Oliver Sane was Little Milton's sax player at the time. Wow. Well, you never know what you what you might learn on listen by listening to the radio. <laughs> Oliver Sane was that was uh, those are those, those are two really good records. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know who his bass player was? No idea. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> uh, um. Well, that's 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 a good way to that's a good way to kick it off. <laughs> okay. Um. Oliver so Oliver Sane, I believe, was from St. Louis, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that I remembered. There you go. Oh, I, and the label I know was it was I, remember, I can't remember the name of the label, but it was it was a, a subsidiary of Excello. It was in the Nashboro. It was in the Nashboro <laughs> record group, which okay. which lasted about three weeks, I believe. Uh, but uh, and I'll never forget. I got I, I I met the PR guy from from that from that company one time, you know, a million years ago, and he gave me those two Oliver Sane records. He just handed them to me, and one called um, "Swamp Blues" with uh, with all these uh, all these great guys from from Southern Louisiana on it, which included um, Silas Hogan, okay, and Dry Chemical Blues. I wished I don't I, know that song. I 
I thought these rats and roaches was gone. Here they are again, walking around in my room, just like women and men. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last verse is, I'll be so happy when I bring these rats to a stop. When I woke up this morning, they were doing the limbo rock. (laughs) 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 The great songs. I actually met him one time. (laughs) The Smithsonian brought him in. They brought Silas Hogan to Portland? No, no, to, to uh, the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Okay. Yeah. I know they have road shows, but... No, no, this, this was their folklife festival. Excellent. And my buddy and I said, look, Silas Hogan's going to be there. And he was just as... And Silas was just as surprised that I had ever heard of him as I was to seeing him. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, uh. Um, I said, where are you from? I was born in Philadelphia, raised mostly in the Chicago area, west suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Is that where you first heard the blues? Uh, Consciously, yeah. (laughs) We um, uh, traveled back and forth to visit my dad's mother in Chicago. So even as a little boy living in upstate New York, uh, spent maybe a third of my time in Chicago and huh. um, my grandmother's house was on Kenwood Avenue in the heart <coughs> excuse me in the Hyde Park neighborhood uh-huh. which in the 50s was maybe the most integrated part of the whole United States wow. and uh, the Radio was ever present, mm-hmm. and so as little boy, I'd be hearing Howlin' Wolf and huh. Muddy Waters and Slim Harpo on the radio. And Lucky you! It never occurred to me that radio wasn't that good everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the rest of us had to kind of figure it out, you know. Yeah, we also would uh, go to Maxwell Street. Uh huh. Uh, which was walking distance from there. Uh-huh. Uh, my grandmother loved to shop for the antiques. My dad uh, loved the Polish sausage, <laughs> and uh, I came to love the street music. There uh-huh. was a lot of street music, not yeah. just blues. There uh-huh. was uh, Polish music and uh, a lot of gospel music. Uh, just played by street performers. Some of them would actually be kind of famous, and some would never uh, play anywhere else, probably. Huh. Any we'd recognize? Um, oh, the, the names aren't coming to me. I know, but you can see them. And you can, you, you can, I, you can visualize, can. You're visualizing them right now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I was just too young to have, have yeah, uh, yeah. had the names imprint, but I sure can't remember <laughs> the sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, is, that, is that when you started to play? No. I started, well, I started playing French horn in the third grade. Really? Uh, had a wonderful, wonderful band teacher, uh, Mr. Elmer Kerner, who had been... Uh, 
in the Army Band when he was a young man. And after World War One, he uh, went and played with Ringling Brothers for quite a long time. Uh, and then he eventually went to college, got a teaching certificate, and started his teaching career kind of old. Uh, but he was there long enough to teach three generations uh, at the uh, uh, Naper Elementary School in Naperville, Illinois. Uh-huh. So I learned from Mr. Kerner. Uh-huh. And what, what, what kind of tunes did you play on? on you, you were part of, of, of normal, an orchestra? Normal school band stuff. Oh, uh-huh. uh, uh-huh. Washington Post March. Yes. Uh, Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> Do you ever hear that? You ever hear the Washington Post March done by Bill Frizzell? Have you no. ever heard that version? No. That's a fabulous version of the Washington Post March. <laughs> no, I never have. <laughs> but then uh, Beatles came, and that's what made me all of a sudden realized that the music I liked to listen to mm-hmm. was also something that I could do. Uh-huh. And so uh, the first time the Beatles were on American TV, they asked Paul uh, what did he want to do most in uh, their first trip to the United States, and he wanted to go hear Muddy Waters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that one sentence made a huge impression on me. Uh-huh. So I was able to get a, a cheap little bass guitar. Didn't know I needed an amplifier. Really? <laughs> um, and started learning uh, Beatles songs and Muddy Waters songs in about equal proportion. And, uh, really? Wow. Uh, got a uh, Ventures Music Minus One LP. <laughs> That came with a book, and so I, since I was in a school band, I could read music. Yeah, and so I could read along with Ventures bass parts, and uh, <laughs> the uh, bass was on one channel, and the rest of the band was in the other. We didn't have a stereo, uh, so I had to listen to the two of them summed in mono, but then. Uh, <laughs> Uh, neighborhood radio repairman showed me uh, he, he gave me a cast off stereo cartridge that uh-huh. would fit on the arm of our record player so he showed me how I could hook up just two of the wires and listen to just the bass <laughs> channel and then hook up the other two wires and listen to just the, uh, the other instruments <laughs> so I, I had it the hard way <laughs> Eventually bought a little uh, Sears all-in-one uh-huh. uh, fold-up record player that was was stereo, so that it became much more easy. But I never found another Music Minus One oh, geez. Uh, bass guitar album. So from then on, it was me and the Carol Kay books. Is that right? Of course. Wow. Everybody learned from Carol Kay books. Is that I did, I, I did, only, only musicians know that. You know. Maybe even only bass players. Could be. <laughs> um, so you knew who Carol Kay was at that time, and that was only she, because she wrote the books. Okay. And uh, the first page of each book, she bragged about herself, <laughs> so you could get the uh, the sense of her own uh, little personal history. Uh huh. 
I loved her in the Wrecking Crew movie. I loved her in the Wrecking Crew movie too. Yeah, yeah, she was she was fabulous. Um, Still alive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. Um. So what? what were were they were they basic? Were they? I mean, how, how, what did you learn? How, how did you learn from those? Oh, they were as basic as could be. This is the G string. This is the D string. <laughs> Push on the first fret, and the G becomes A flat. Mm-hmm. It was that basic in the early books. And the books were real short. She wanted you to keep buying them. Yes. <laughs> so each book basically just taught you one thing. <laughs> Do you still have them? No, I wish I did. Oh man, I wish you did too. <laughs> but they're they're all still in print. And really, she has a very good website. Huh? You, if you want to, you can uh, learn uh, all her famous licks. She <laughs> she talks about how she came up with the idea for these boots are made for walking and uh-huh. all sorts of things like that. Wow. I, it's, for some reason, I, I, it never occurred to me that that was a Carol Kalick, but of course it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's very proud of it. She says yeah. so many times how proud of it she is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny how, you know, that because that, uh, uh, for the past few weeks, every time I turn on the television, I see an Applebee's commercial with the Eddie Martinez lick and simply irresistible, ah. you know. <laughs> and I, I, I messaged him the other day. I said, "Eddie, you must be doing really well, because <laughs> the you know they play they, they they play these nationally every you know like all day, you know." And he said, "Yeah, it's pretty pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the mailbox money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that has been a long time ago, long time ago. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I remember I did an interview with him one time. He was sitting there with his guitar, and I said, "Tell me about that lick." And he just played it. You know, I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, Eddie is a treasure. He's a wonderful man. He is absolutely uh, one of the nicest people on earth uh, I've ever, that I've ever met. Anyway. Um. Okay, so uh, were you playing? In, were you playing in bands by then? Uh, I by the time you got the Carol K books, uh, I started playing in a band almost as soon as I got the bass. Really, uh, I had friends who are still friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we were. Uh, I started in the uh, spring, right after. Uh, President Kennedy was shot, and uh, by the end of the school year, we were working musicians. We wow. played a huh. birthday party, and then we started uh-huh. playing uh, Catholic youth organization dances. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and what were you playing? Playing the hits? Playing the hits, yeah. yeah. Anything we could figure out from the top 40. <laughs> Any blues? Uh, not as such, but yeah. of course, a lot of the top 40 was recycled blues anyway, so. Yeah, that's amazing, you know, uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that pop music in the 70s was basically bl- all, all blues-based. 
Yeah, very much so. We'd do yeah. Long Tall Sally, uh-huh. um, but we'd be thinking Beatles rather than Little Richard. Ah, ah. And uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. we'd be playing uh, uh, Roll Over Beethoven, but we'd yeah. be thinking Beach Boys. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they liked the stuff. I we know like that. The stuff. I know, but I like the Chuck Berry versions better. <laughs> I I had uh, uh, friends who were older girls, maybe four or five years older, which uh-huh. you know at you know fourteen or so is a big difference, huge difference. And uh, <clears throat> they were the daughters of my mother's best friend. Oh, and they had all the uh, 45s uh-huh. that were by Larry Williams. Larry Williams. And, uh, Larry Williams, yeah. And Chuck Berry uh-huh. and uh, so on like that. So I was getting exposed through uh-huh. them to the source material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I'd be learning the songs to play in the in Lonely Souls band. Lonely Souls? Lonely Souls was their name. <laughs> uh, I'd be learning them from Beatles records and so on. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a pretty normal assortment of tunes for the... Right. For the time and place. I, I was in the high school class of 1969. Uh-huh. 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 So we uh, learned uh, uh, Crossroads as a cream song rather than as a Robert Johnson song. But they released a wonderful collection of about half the Robert Johnson songs the same year that uh, Cream had covered it. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And uh, so that was a real eye-opener, ear-opener, I guess I should say. I bet. And uh, Born Under a Bad Sign was another one. Uh-huh. Uh, but that was a very new song when Cream covered it. Uh-huh. Um, the Born Under a Bad Sign album uh, by Albert King uh-huh. came out, I think, only a few months before Cream covered that. Wow. And that was <clears throat> that was a song that actually pulled us right into the, the straight <clears throat> blues. And uh-huh. we were getting a little older. This was maybe our sophomore, junior year in high school. Uh-huh. And uh, there were lots of places you could hear blues bands in Chicago sure. in a uh, all ages environment. Uh-huh. So we'd go to the um, Kinetic Playground <laughs> was one uh, that would always have a headlining uh, big name rock band, uh-huh. but the opening acts were typically. You know, you'd hear Led Zeppelin before yeah. they had a record. Yeah. Uh, they'd be the headliner, but they'd have to follow somebody <laughs> like Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> and uh, it scared the pants off of them. Yeah. 
Did they have a light show also? They always had a light of show. Of course you had to have it a light show. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so I heard uh, Freddie King there quite a few times. Uh-huh. Muddy Waters there quite a few times. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, younger Cats. Did, uh, all right, all right, were you aware of what you were looking at? Yes. By then, I, we, we definitely were. Yeah. And, yeah. and loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, uh, I'm friends with a drummer here named Ashbolt Stewart. Sure. Who at that time lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And we learned after meeting here decades later that we had been to many, many of the same concerts. <laughs> uh, but just hadn't known each other back then. <laughs> so you were a working musician. I was a working musician. Uh, I've had a musician's union card since 1965. Wow. And um, my junior year in high school only made $1,000 less than my father, who was a tenured uh, college professor. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Uh, 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 uh. And the money went down from there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, uh, all right, what, what were some of the names of the bands that you were in? Because that, well, that was a prime prime time for band names. Uh, the Lonely Souls was yeah. uh, the only one all through high school. Really? Junior high and high wow. school. Wow. Um, so there are people in Chicago who still remember the Lonely Souls. Uh, probably out, only out in the western suburbs. Well, still. But still, yeah. you know, from here, it's... right. It's all Chicago, just yeah. like from Chicago, Gresham is Portland. Right. Beaverton right. is Portland. Right. So <laughs> Naperville and Westmont and Downers Grove and uh-huh. Aurora, uh, we're all Chicago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess maybe not Aurora. That okay. Was, that was sort of the end of the commuter line, and it was, it was the um, first of those places that had its own identity, really. <laughs> if you say so, because <laughs> you couldn't prove it by me. <laughs> um, okay, so um, uh, and naturally, this was getting you lots of girls. <laughs> uh, I was uh, uh, really enjoying that part of the uh, music yes. business for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, oh, I understand. I understand. I was the dashing young underground newspaper reporter. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> back then uh and um uh so uh so if you were performing around that time did you were you, did you do any performing around the the democratic convention in 68 um there was a uh rod and custom show <laughs> uh, that we played at, we opened for Tommy James and the Shondells. Wow. And uh, he, he had been a flash in the pan, but then uh, right. he had a, a second hit a few years after his mm-hmm. his first songs. So he had, I can't remember the names, the bubblegum. Crystal Blue Persuasion. That was, yeah, that yes. was the, the, the comeback <laughs> song. Okay, so that was around the Democratic Convention. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
we took a wrong well we, we should have made a detour uh-huh. to go to the navy pier where our gig was uh-huh. but instead we got caught up in a big traffic jam Uh-oh. that uh, featured lots of billy clubs uh-huh. and uh it was uh not a very good time to be four long-haired kids wearing right. funny clothes in right. a VW bus. Oh, boy. And uh, none of us were really uh, injured, but we certainly were hassled. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, getting hassled was part of the gig. Getting hassled was <laughs> part of the gig, yes. Uh, um, okay, so uh, when did you move to Portland? Moved to Portland in the summer of 1977. Ah, uh, oh, that's when Portland was Portland. <laughs> Whatever. Well, <laughs> whenever people move here, that's when Portland was Portland. Sure. I moved here in '97, and that was when Portland was Portland. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, what? So, what brought you here? Uh, it was just go west, young man. Yeah. yeah. I tried to go to college at the University of New Mexico and uh, learned that I just didn't really like college. And mm-hmm. I think if I had worked for four or five years first, I probably would have uh, enjoyed college a lot better as an older guy. But uh-huh. I tried it right after high school. And uh-huh. it, it just wasn't the the right situation for me at that time yeah i got in a pretty good band in albuquerque Uh that was uh called the rotten apple (laughs) and the rotten apple had a singular record yes the rotten apple yeah (laughs) Uh, we had a recording contract with abaco records really which was the uh what was his name alan klein alan klein yeah oh yeah um um uh Turns out the band leaders, uh, there were two, which is one too many, uh, <laughs> couldn't get along with Alan Klein. So our stuff was never released. <sighs> but it was fascinating uh, getting to know the uh, people that owned the recording studio. Uh, ah. A couple brothers named Sanchez who... Uh, Al Hurricane uh, was Al Sanchez, who just died recently, Hmm. who was very, very popular in Mexican rock music Hmm. in the 70s. And they they made Spanish-language versions of every conceivable top 40 hit, (laughs) and they had... uh, complete saturation of all the jukeboxes from say colorado uh south of mexico city and uh they'd tour um about six months a year and they'd record about six months of the year and they they got to like me i i got to uh, play bass on quite a few uh radio jingles really and things like that none of their own songs (laughs) but uh They'd uh, they'd use me for the uh, the uh, clothing store ads and <laughs> things like that. Uh-huh. So h- how long did it take you to, to get in a band once you got here? Uh, I was working in machine shops in the day. Uh-huh. Um, so I is that what you generally did as as a, as a as a day job? Day job, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. 
kind of runs in the family. <laughs> uh, not my father, but his father was a metallurgist with the National Lead Company, and um, so he was around uh, metal manufacturing all his working life. And on the other side, um, my other grandfather was an electrician uh, with the Pennsylvania Power and Light, but he was also a farmer, and like every small farmer, he had a, a little machine shop on the farm to take care of his uh-huh. uh, uh, field equipment. So uh-huh. it was a easy trade for me to, to fall into. Uh, first machine shop I worked at was Numax Industries in Albuquerque, and the boss there had been uh, Peggy Lee's organ player <laughs> for quite a few years. Wow. That's interesting because Peggy Lee's piano player's daughter lives in Portland. <laughs> Small world. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> All right, so you got here, and what'd you do? I got here, and um, I stumbled into uh, a variety of just pickup gigs, mm-hmm. and one of those. Uh, led to me uh, joining the uh, Kate Sullivan Band. I played with uh, Kate and Company for a year and a half or two. Mm -hmm. And uh, through that, I met my wife, Carol. Uh Uh, So that was wonderful. And uh, other musicians that I met through Kate uh, led me to uh, Sheila and the Boogeyman. Oh, boy. And uh, so I was one of uh, several bass players that was on uh, the Rolodex for that band. Yeah, I had Uh, her on the podcast about a year before she she passed away. Through uh, Sheila and the Boogeyman, I met Janice Scroggins, who uh, moved here about a year after I did. Uh And... um, we uh not on a Sheila gig but on one that was uh a pickup gig that was a result of someone having heard uh Janice and I uh-huh. we got hired for uh, I don't know whose pickup gig um but uh I told her how much I'd enjoyed hearing her at uh a restaurant where she was doing a single Mm -hmm. and uh, out of that uh, she asked me for a ride to another pickup gig (laughs) and uh, I was kind of flattered that Mm -hmm. she would uh, ask me for the ride sure and so I picked her up and uh, she had a little bit of heart trouble herself, asked me what I uh, towed her gear for, so mm. sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the way to the job, I said something about how much I had really enjoyed her playing and expected some kind of pleasantry and uh, <laughs> an answer. And instead, she said, 
Yeah, but you played way too loud. Oh. And you played way the hell too many notes. <laughs> and you didn't seem to know the songs nearly well enough. Oh, the band's supposed to follow the bass player. You have to know the songs better than every, everyone else there. And she wasn't through. Wow. Uh, then she started telling me how it was obvious that I loved this kind of music and that it was my calling. And she said that I owed it to myself and I owed it to the music. And she went there. She said, I owed it to my children. <laughs> wow. Uh, to practice harder and smarter and longer so that Jeez. I could do it all justice. That's amazing. And that was how uh, a lifelong friendship began wow. with that uh, complete ass chewing. By Jeez. the time we got to the gig, I felt about an inch tall. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've tried to take her advice to heart ever since. I bet. Yeah. Man, what a story. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, did, did you meet, uh, uh, Norman Sylvester through her? Uh, no, uh, Norman and I were both, uh, jam session kind of guys. Uh, -huh. uh, he had had, uh, a pretty big, maybe eight or nine piece soul band, mm -hmm. uh, right out of high school, but as, he got to uh, fathering age. Uh, he needed uh, a better job, and uh -huh. he was lucky enough to get on with uh, Pacific Intermountain Express, or uh -huh. PIE, as it was known by its initials, which was a medium-sized trucking company. Yeah. Uh, much better job, Teamsters Union, good benefits, all that. But they had him on a rotating shift, so it became impossible for him to keep a, a steady band together. Uh -huh. And so he ended up just doing the occasional pickup gigs, and he would show up at jam sessions at the Ninth Street exit, and he would show up at jam sessions at uh, whatever the Dandelion was before it became the Dandelion. Uh -huh. And he would show up at jam sessions at the uh, Royal Esquire on Alberta and something 10th, 17th, 15th in Alberta. Huh. And he would show up at jam sessions at the White Eagle. And so we came across each other at those places. And uh, uh, we were both acquainted with John Barraz. By that time, I was playing... Uh, uh, John had a sit-down gig at Esther Lita's on Clinton and uh, 20th or 21st. Mm -hmm. And um, he also did quite a few pickup gigs with John. Uh, John and Norman uh, did pickup gigs with each other. So uh, I got to know Norman better through that. And... Uh, Norman had a, a project uh, called The Neighborhood Gang with uh, Stan Wheeler, uh -huh. a bass player who just passed away uh, about a year ago, um, James Watts, and uh, Ray Nelson was the drummer uh, who for a time was also uh, Norman's brother-in-law. Huh. 
and um, the the neighborhood gang was a, a very conscious effort to have an all black blues band in Portland because mm-hmm. they you know they enjoyed uh, Paul Delay yeah. and yeah. Uh, Johnny and the Jokers and them but they thought there should be a black blues band yeah um, and so that was you know uh, they had a lot of ambitions but they all had day jobs that were all very demanding and so they never really had the time to put into it uh, Mm -hmm. for that to really blossom into a a steady working band Mm -hmm. it um, it was just just friends who stayed friends but it never became a a commercial success Uh Uh and so you you well, you weren't in that band. No, I wasn't no. in that band, but uh, I was a familiar face yeah. because of yeah. that band yeah. and uh, because of doing pickup gigs with John Baraz yeah. and Norman Sylvester. Right. Um, there were three or four bass players that might have been the bass player for those. Uh, and Typically, it would have been Ray Nelson also playing drums. Uh-huh. And... Um, the Norman Sylvester band just came together as a result of of those. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this was early-ish 80s. Yeah. And um, the pickup gigs, just because of the nature of their personalities, Norman uh, sort of became the uh, the leader of those. And uh, eventually, John wanted to go back into college full-time, so he did. And uh, he had much less time to put into it. And the uh, Norman Sylvester Band formed around that time. Mm -hmm. It's hard to point to an exact beginning, but it would have been in 84 or 85. Uh Uh, By then, we had gigs at uh, the old uh, Starry Night. We opened for Tower of Power. We opened for James Cotton. I think probably billed as the Norman Sylvester slash John Barraz band. And then uh-huh. uh, uh, set change times. They would turn a sign on an easel around and uh, the other one would get top billing. <laughs> so it was sometimes the John John Baraz Norman Sylvester band, yeah. and then uh, for the second set, it'd be the Norman Sylvester John Baraz band. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, that outfit started playing at um, Portland State University, uh, had uh, early evening entertainment sometimes down by the bowling alley. Uh-huh. We played there pretty often. So what 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 kind of tunes were you playing? Was it was that was that band playing back then? Were you uh, were you still playing some covers and uh, were you playing blues, any originals? Or? Blues chestnuts. Yeah, we'd yeah. play. You know, woke up this morning. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Talk to me, baby, and uh-huh. uh, a lot of the Albert Collins songs. Uh huh. 
Um, Norman was uh, greatly influenced by his friend Isaac Scott. Oh, yeah. Who himself was pretty good friends with Albert Collins. Albert, uh-huh. in his uh, hiatus from playing, had settled up in uh, Seattle. He moved there from Texas, and he was painting houses. Uh. And um, he uh, hung around with Isaac a lot. So uh, either when Isaac would be down here for a gig, Albert would just pal around and mm. got to know Norman that way. And Norman likewise went up to Seattle pretty often to hang around with Isaac. And so when Albert started playing again, uh, he was using musicians from the Northwest, essentially the Robert Cray Band. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I think uh, we opened for him once at uh, Ninth Street Exit, maybe, or uh-huh. someplace like uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, uh, were you were you guys playing any originals back then, or was it just pretty much? Uh, Norman uh, was just starting to uh, write his own songs at that time. Uh huh. Um, and uh, some of his first songs are, are still in our uh, repertoire now, yeah. uh, 35 years later. Wow. Um, we ended up using Janice quite a bit in that oh, time yeah. period, but she, of course, was in high demand, so we, right. we couldn't count on having her so... Um, we booked some recording studio time um, so that we could just have uh, something to show other keyboard players to <laughs> please please try and imitate what Janice did on this uh, song and on <laughs> yeah. that song. So yeah. Good luck. <laughs> uh, there was a, a dozen or so instrumentals uh, mm-hmm. that or not instrumentals, uh, a dozen or so originals mm-hmm. that we record with her, and it came out so well, we released that as our first product. Mm-hmm. That was uh, the On the Right Track album, mm-hmm. which took a, a few years from uh, laying it down to actually uh, being released, mm-hmm. but we released it in maybe 1990, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we still do uh, at least eight or nine of those dozen songs. Mm-hmm. And by this time, you were sort of handling uh, pu- publicity for the band, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's an awful lot of things that a band has to do besides just yeah. show up and play. Right. And, uh, Norman was finding the work and writing songs, and yeah. so he'd ask me, uh, you know, can you can you get this out to the newspapers mm-hmm. and, and things like that, and uh, so yeah, that became one of the hats I wore. Yeah, yeah, you still do that, of course. Yeah, I, I still do that. Yeah, because the band still has to get yeah. get the word out, right? Uh, especially if. You know, in the the niche we have, where we're the band that's across the street all the time, 
you know we we've never tried to travel much mm -hmm. so we compete with ourselves to an extent we try to you know fill you know a, a nightclub in portland mm -hmm. you know eight to twelve times a month every single month amazing and um so you, you have to um you have to keep in constant contact with uh -huh. all uh, the various media outlets uh, uh -huh. that they'll they'll let people know because um, it's it's real easy to just become paint on the wall. Oh yeah. Um, so you you have to you know just keep the reminders out. We're going to be here. We're going to be there. We're going to be the other place. You, but you, you know, I mean, I I get all your all your releases, yes, you so it's, you know, I mean, uh, um, you know, it's it's a, there, it's important. It is, you know, who, what, where, yeah. when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, how do you see the the band's sort of arc or tra trajectory over the last few years? Where is the band going? Uh. It is a little bit different uh, mm -hmm. now uh, because uh, for the first time ever, we're to the point where uh, all the kids are grown. Yeah. And uh, we don't, uh, we're not in the, the dog eat dog phase anymore uh -huh. people will hire us uh -huh. and um at the same time uh we have a little more freedom mm -hmm. uh so um, norman for the first time ever is open to traveling a little bit ah. um, we uh recently accepted uh uh, an offer from the Calgary International Blues Festival nice. uh, for uh, beginning of August this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of trying to find work between uh, Seattle and Roseburg, uh, yeah. now he just uh, is trying to find work absolutely any place. Huh. Uh, there's been some... Uh, tentative but maybe not lucrative enough offers from uh -huh. a couple uh, European promoters huh. and uh, he really would like to uh, uh, see Europe from on stage yeah. uh, while he's still young enough to yeah. do that kind yeah. of thing. Well, kind of like Earl Thomas. Yes. Earl Thomas just, just came back from Europe not, long, not too long ago. Right. Uh, and, and of course, Norman's not as old as Earl, I don't think. No, Norman's yeah. 74, right. Yule, I think, about 80. About 80, yeah, yeah. You know, I've always thought of uh, Norman's band as, um, as kind of being the Art Blakey band of, 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 of Portland Blues because so many young players, especially singers, have come up through that band. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Lorraine Steele we met as... She was maybe 18 or 19. She had huh. just come up from uh, Oklahoma. Yeah. And 
somehow there is a family connection with Benny Wilson. Mm -hmm. So uh, Benny was not playing with us at that time, but he brought her around uh, to introduce us. uh, And uh, uh, working with Norman was real beneficial for her as far as uh, gaining some Mm self-confidence. And also uh, because of just who was in the band at that time, uh, that got her and Janice close. Mm -hmm. And uh, Janice, I suppose, probably had more to do with LaRonda's singing career. Mm -hmm. Um, Gretchen Mitchell was another one. Gretchen Mitchell, uh, who just popped in and... uh, uh, Sat in with us uh, last month, I guess. That right, Clyde's. Um, wow, Gretchen Mitchell uh, was with us for several years. Yeah, uh, off and on. Um, uh, Norman's uh, oldest daughter, Lenann, mm-hmm. uh, has sang with us quite a bit early on. Uh, when uh, she went to uh, college in Eugene, uh, she went to the U of O, and she had uh, never really sang at all before. Huh. But she uh, got into uh, choir down huh. there, just needed uh-huh. to fill an elective, and yeah. that was a convenient time. <laughs> and it turned out... Uh, she could sing phenomenally well. And uh, so as a college kid, she started uh, singing with us. And then she was joined by uh, two of her cousins, uh-huh. uh, Rhonda and uh, Esther Hill. And uh, the three of them were collectively known as the Sweet Things. <laughs> uh Ron and Esther had had a band called French Kiss, <laughs> or I, I guess they weren't weren't the band leaders, but they were the uh, the featured vocalists. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. the only vocalists. <laughs> um, and uh, so for a while, we had uh, three uh, female singers, <laughs> which was wow. a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> and uh, so, how how are you looking at your own playing these days? After all this time, um, I still love it. Yeah, you know, all, all the all the motivation is the same as it ever was. Uh-huh. I I hear stuff and I I, I want to play it too. Yeah. So yeah. I um, used to really try and imitate specific. Uh, Bass lines. Uh-huh. I guess I don't do that so much. Who, who are you trying to imitate? With the Willie Dixon, maybe, or some people like that? Um, Willie Dixon, to be sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I liked all those uh, Motown bass players. Oh yeah. There must have been a right. hundred. I thought that yeah. all knew how to play that way. And yes. It was years <laughs> later that I found out it was all James Jamerson. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, sometimes Bob Babbitt, yeah, who yeah. was as faithful a James Jamerson uh, <laughs> disciple as there could be. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so I tried to play that. Uh, I was uh, really influenced by Paul McCartney, of course, who uh -huh. was not a conventional bass player uh -huh. at all. He's uh, very idiosync. However you say that. Yes. Idiosyncratic bass Correct. player. Yes. But a uh, very good <laughs> one. And uh, Jack Cassidy of the Jefferson mm -hmm. Airplane was mm -hmm. another of my earlier rock kind of influences. And then uh, I took to listening to uh, a lot more jazz and uh -huh. got familiar with uh, Milt Hinton and uh -huh. uh, uh, Ray Brown yeah. and Leroy Vinegar, of course, of course when, yeah. when Leroy moved here. Yeah. Uh, is, wonderfully friendly guy uh -huh. and he was he he liked having younger bass players hang around with really him. and uh he'd never give you advice about playing the instrument but he had <laughs> so many terrific stage stories uh, uh -huh. recording studio stories yeah yeah a lot of them involving getting les mccann out of out of scrapes <laughs> things like <laughs> that yeah <laughs> Well, listen, Rob, thanks a lot. I uh, appreciate you coming in. Uh, I've been wanting to do this with you for a long time, and, and I'm glad we could do it. Uh, happy baseball season. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Go Cubs. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Cubs and the Orioles were never rivals in any kind of way. So, If you had said, hey, hey Yankees, we'd have, a, we'd have a different problem. We'd have a problem there, but we've got no problems with that. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yes, indeed. Thank you.